You're listening to El Clásico, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Vuelta España from Barcelona to Madrid. Today we are at La Cruz de Linares. You are indeed listening to El Clásico. My name is Daniel Freiber. I'm the host of this episode and I am on La Cruz de Linares, where today the Vuelta a España was mercifully spared by the mysterious Nubero, the Asturian god of clouds and storms, who, according to local legends, frequently wreaks havoc in this part of the Cordillera Cantabrica, that's the Cantabrian mountains. Unmistakable in his goat leathers and wide-brimmed hat, Nuberu is said to delight in striking animals with bolts of lightning, ravaging crops with hail, and cruelly denying loyal domestiques a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to win grand tours with devastating attacks in the closing kilometres of decisive mountain stages. Slightly economical with the truth on that last point, perhaps. However, also in Asturias today, but not with me here on La Cruz de Linares is our good friend, voice of cycling, Eurosport commentator, Rob Hatch. Rob, where exactly in Asturias, but not at the race are you? I'm in that wonderful, big, working-class city that is Gijón, right on the coast. Any sightings of Nuberu there? No, not Orbayu either. That's the Asturian slang, by the way, for that fine rain that soaks you through. So it wasn't spitting, thankfully, today, was it? It's been an absolutely glorious day up here. Rob, are you familiar with Nuberu? Apparently, it's no, a big I'm thing. No, I'm not familiar with yeah, Nuberu. It's a, it's a, Is it? Yeah, it's a big thing in Asturias, apparently. Um, I mean, I, that last word I mentioned, Orbayu, is something that's graffitied onto almost every motorway bridge up here. It's bizarre. And when I asked the question, apparently it is just slang for drizzle. So it's, mm. it's a very uh, unique thing. And obviously, they're very attached to the weather here. The Basques have a lovely word for a sort of light, drizzly sort of haze called sirimiri. You see it. Um, it's, the, it's the name of a lot of sort of restaurants and tav- taverns and that kind of thing. Anyway, Rob, we really should talk about some cycling. Um, I said we'd been spared the eye of Nuberu, um, and the race had been spared storms of any description today, including maybe, possibly, the kind of storm that we experienced. We, some of us, in some cases, enjoyed last night. The storm brewing in the Jumbo Visma camp after the stage to the Alto de Langliru, won by Primoz Roglic, and were followed by controversy, wasn't it, Rob? Um, Just quickly, before we get on to today's proceedings, I presume you watched yesterday's stage, Rob, and we'll talk a lot more about it and about the postscript later in the later in the episode but i've cranked up the super uh, what, what, what did lionel call it the hot tank machine to super caliente and um yes. and yeah i'd like your your quick very very sizzling hot take on yesterday please uh, i don't think it's too caliente anymore because it's cooled off over the last 24 hours but i think it was pretty much a unanimous feeling wasn't it for most people i don't think i've ever seen as many ex-pros current pros people around observers journalists all being pretty much unanimous agreement that it was an absolute horror show from a PR stand yesterday from Jumbo Visma. I do not know what they were playing at. And I very much enjoyed my uh, good mate, Sean Kelly, just tearing the whole idea and any defence of what happened yesterday to pieces. And when he says it like that, you know there's a problem. 
Rob, traditionally, at this point in the episode, or not at this point in the episode, but any point in the episode when we begin to talk about and think about the power struggle at Jumbo Visma, we hear this. Yes, Rob, because I think it would be remiss of us to proceed to the tale of the etapa without hearing a little bit about what happened this morning in a little place called Pola de Allende. That was where the start was taking place. And obviously it was a hot topic, what happened last night. And we were keen to get the views or get the sort of post-race, post sort of morning after reaction rather, of some of the protagonists, particularly Primoz Roglic, was in demand, didn't speak, I don't believe, at the start this morning. Um, but yesterday, before yesterday's start, we'd had a word with Richard Plugger, the Jumbo Visma director sportive. I'm sorry, not director sportive. What am I saying? Team manager. He's the team manager. He's yeah. the Grand Fromage. He's the big boss. And what I forgot to point out yesterday was during his interview, you heard it clearly on the podcast, when in the background was the sound of a chainsaw. Um, which was pretty pretty <laughs> ominous with hindsight. I wish I had mentioned that now. We heard from him yesterday, and he sort of outlined how key to the team's process and how they were going to tackle things, and how they always tackle things, is communication. Um, and, well, we saw some dubious communication after the stage on the Angliru yesterday. Richard Plugger emerged from the bus shortly after it parked up today at the top of a sort of uh, a long and quite steep hill, and um, he was pursued by the s- most of the fairly small press pack that's here at the Vuelta a España, sort of down a country lane. Um, but he did he did front up and he did answer some questions this morning. So we're going to hear from him, and then we're going to hear from Sepp Kuss, who, well, see what you all think. I th- I think in in this interview we can detect a new sort of edge or we could detect this morning a new edge um in sep kuss's voice so here's richard plugger first and then sep kuss in, uh, that you guys are in uh, what what did you talk about last night uh, both sep and, and mark said that you were going to talk about the situation last night yeah we had uh, we are in indeed a very good situation and something uh yeah that never happened before so it's uh, not a textbook uh, solution for this and uh, we need everybody like always to discuss so and what we always do uh, during the races we uh, evaluate uh, the stage we evaluate uh, how we can uh, go further and uh, we did that last night as well and uh, yeah you will see it today so you can tell us the, the conclusion no like i said you will see it uh, today and but uh, it's, uh, it's uh, really important that we have a plan as a team, as we always do. Um, talking a lot, uh, I'm, I'm telling this often, uh, we, we talk a lot in the wintertime, we talk a lot during races, we want, to be every, we want everybody to give their opinion, everything needs to be on the table. And uh, you know, we want to know what, uh, what everybody's opinion is, and then we can make a plan. And now we have a plan. Richard, specifically yesterday, Jonas followed uh, Primoz. Probably difficult to make the decision in the heat of the moment, but was, was that a mistake? Because it's taken him so close that it's created a lot of questions, and it almost feels as though he's breathing down Sepp's neck now. No, I think, uh, you know, yesterday was yesterday, and I think we did a good job, like I said uh, just now. You know, we were happy with the results yesterday. Uh, again, it was a brutal climb. Uh, things ca- can happen. Big, big things can happen there. So we needed to be uh, to be sharp because the big goal, ultimately, is to be uh, uh, to win the Vuelta. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's more or less uh, what's it. 
those discussions last night, don't expect you to tell us everything that was said, but the general mood, was it was it a heated discussion, forthright discussion, or was it all very harmonious? And uh, it's, it's a discussion, so sometimes it's, uh, people uh, are, are trying to bring their uh, point of view to the table, but that's, that's how we work, that's, that's what we want. And uh, yeah, you know, you have to have a discussion with that and try to, uh, to find a middle ground there. And, uh, and, and that's, uh, we succeed in that because uh, yeah, we always succeed in that. That's why we, why we are so successful that, uh, you know, we uh, some win again, winning together. We can only win a race if you work really well together. I was in this uh, unique position, uh, of course, not by accident, but by uh, a situation in the race and by racing, but uh, I've, I felt like I've deserved this this position. I've I've, I've ridden in the in the echelons. I've I've ridden uh, best time trial of my life. Uh, uh, yesterday we did the Angliru. I don't know third fourth fastest time ever. Uh, so I think I've deserved deserved that. And um, yeah, I, I now I know that uh, that I deserve the, the support of the team behind me. And um, yeah, I'm never the guy that puts his hand up and, and wants everything this way or that way but uh, yeah from what I've learned is that you have to stick up for yourself. So Rob fascinating I thought there to hear Sepp Kuss sort of talk about why he deserved to win this Vuelta España and Sepp Kuss is uh, he's famously self-effacing has been self-effacing throughout his whole career has been self-effacing throughout this Vuelta España yesterday after the stage to the Angliru said I'll probably never be in this position again I got the the strong sense this morning that either before the meeting that Jumbo Visma had or in the intervening hours um, before this morning someone had got in his ear and and given him a bit of a pep talk and said Sepp you deserve well you certainly deserve to win this Vuelta España for this reason this reason and, and, and various other reasons which he sort of enumerated for us this morning that was my sort of strong sense and when he said um, sometimes you have to stand up for yourself I mean I'm not going to say that that was the, the equivalent of the line in succession from Roman to the other siblings stop, gang- <laughs> stop ganging up on me like you're Lennon and McCartney um, and I'm George I'm John but um, I think someone had given him a bit of a pep talk, Rob. That was, that was my reading of, of those comments. First things first, you're spoiling succession for me. I think I've only got about five episodes in and then I've got to go and dig out and you're ruining the plot line. But I mean, if it's anything like what we've seen in the Jumbo Visma camp, then I'm certainly going to watch it anyway because it's been entertaining, you know, even looking on and being sort of aghast at what we've seen on the road and wondering what's happened off the road. I'm in complete agreement there, though, Daniel, that somebody has had a word, thankfully, with Sepkus to show him his worth. And again, perhaps he, he does know his worth. You know, there's got to be a certain amount of confidence in there that he can do his job. <laughs> you know, he's been up there. He's got results to prove it. He's won big grand tour stages in most of the main races. Um, yes, it's about time he started standing up. And just I hope that somebody has, has said that, you know, this is a unique opportunity and you'd be pretty silly to, to not put that point across. Certainly in, in a team like Jumbo Visma that's running a, you know, the sort of Dutch straight-talking fashion, as you've already alluded to, Daniel. Um, and if you can't say it in Jumbo Visma in a Dutch team, then you're not really going to be able to speak up anywhere, are you? Um, the idea is to say things and nobody gets offended in, in that sort of culture. Uh, it's part of the team's culture and part of the culture in the nation itself. So I'm glad he's done that. And there did seem to be a change in 
in what he said. I, I picked up on another sort of word that he said earlier on, and, and, and he, he actually mentioned that he was altruistic, rather quite altruistic, and it was an interview mm. he gave at the start line today. And that was something new for me. He was, you know, and that, that for me came into a sort of a quote that had been fed into his mind by whoever was having the, the pep talk and saying, well, you know, look, you're a great guy. You're a nice guy, but you're here because you're a, a bloody good bike rider as well. And look what you did for Roglic when he was swinging on that end of that stage in the Giro. Look what you did in the Tour when Vingegaard was having a bad day. You know, these guys owe you this. And it was nice to see, see him coming out and defending himself. Incidentally, Jonas Vingegaard also sort of reiterated what he'd said, um, even if his deeds on the Anglia didn't necessarily mm. match his words. But what he'd said last night on the Anglia, namely he wanted Sepkus to win the Vuelta a España, he reiterated that at the start this morning. He also sort of hinted to our colleagues at Danish TV, or more than hinted, he said that um, he hadn't necessarily been in agreement with this um, best man wins policy all along. Um, he'd been in favour of them picking a man and backing that man. Richard Plugger, on the other hand, Rob, told us we would find out what they had decided in today's stage. Now, did we find out what they had decided? Rob, you're going to give us today's tale of the etapa. El resumen de la etapa. The tale of the etapa. Well, actions speak louder than words, don't they? And 178.9 kilometres to the Cruz de Linares. Not once, but twice a loop around the brand new first category finish right in the heart of Asturias. Not too far from Oviedo. Plenty of climbing and a few sports directors who've done the recon around here said that this was actually going to be the hardest stage of the Vuelta. The scene was set, the sunshine was out and the paraíso natural that is the Principality of Asturias showed its beauty. The cider apple orchards and green pastures on the slopes of its harsh mountains, leaving a beautiful view as the peloton passed by. But they weren't just passing by, they were flying by again. Another big, fast start. 14 riders up the road at one stage. Almost 12 minutes of a maximum gap as well. But once we got to the business end of things, that was reduced, as was the size of the group. Renko Evenepoel had secured the King of the Mountains jersey, winning points. Yes, again, he was in the break. And as long as he stays in his bike all the way to Madrid, he will be the man that takes home that polka dot jersey. When we got to the first of the two ascents of the Cruz de Linares, Andreas Kron was the man who forced the early pace. That did for people like Egan Bernal, who was also in a breakaway. Only Renko Evenepoel could follow, Damiano Caruso and young Max Poole from DSM as well. Kron, though, showed that he'd given a bit too much too early and he was soon out as they were down to three. Behind all eyes, of course, as we've been talking about since the start of the episode, we're on Jumbo Visma, the peloton also headed to the final two climbs, just over 10 minutes behind. Yet again, it was Bahrain Victorious who decided to take the pace up in that group. Renko Evenepoel in the meantime at the front dropped Caruso near the top of the first ascent and Poole followed suit. Renko Evenepoel was alone with 29 kilometres to go and it looked as though it was going to be another Evenepoel exploit. First time through the finish, Evenepoel had over a minute on the closest chase of Poole and over 10 minutes on the red jersey group. 
Evenepoel then extended his lead on the descent and on the flat. Poole and Caruso regrouping on that section before the second and final ascent to Cruz de Linares. A brand new climb, but one with gradients up to 16% at stages. A little bit of concrete with sort of grooves put in there to help the rainwater. The surface was horrible in parts, but the scenery, as we already said, was stunning. Evenepoel had over two minutes and was riding away to that third stage victory as he started the final climb. In the main group, as we switched our attention behind, Landa attacked, but it didn't work. Yes, that's Landismo too, as we know. It's not all about success. <laughs> all eyes were on if a young boat Mikael would Landa. follow. Mikel Landa could conceivably have won the Vuelta a España yesterday for, for mm. Sepkus. Um, so, you know, all you detractors, all you heathens who don't believe in Landismo... Mikel Landa, Vuelta a España winner, possibly, come Sunday. Anyway, go on, Rob. Esto también es landismo, Daniel. It's alive, as you said yesterday. Um, he did try. It didn't work. Yombo, they tried to follow. They followed well, actually, but they followed as a unit. There was nothing doing in the drama stakes. Landa would try again, but quite from a quick Ayuso reaction, there was pretty much unanimity between the killer bees. Sticking together, presumably after that overnight telling off from the queen bee, whether that had been on the bus. Vinigor was riding on the front, clearly working for Kuss. Roglic on his wheel, Kuss in red and sitting behind. But then this strange sort of tension descended on the group. Camera fixed on a group of no more than six riders. Mass was there alongside Lander and Ayuso as well and a real tense way over the final three kilometres as they rode to the finish. Nothing happened until 1k to go, but under the kite, you knew something was coming. Ayuso attacked, Kuss then followed and looked stunningly, stunningly brilliant again. No hint of a weakness like there'd been the day before, but soon as Kuss started forcing at the front, Vignogor was on the radio, and Kuss seemingly quickly lifted his foot. What a difference a day makes and what a difference a gesture from somebody else makes. The games are restarted in the final 500 metres. Kuss this time following another move from Ayuso. Lander in it too before he started to be distanced. A small gap to Vingegaard that was filled by Roglic in the end. Stage of course won by Evenepoel but all the drama behind. Not maybe as much as we might have been expecting, anticipating 24 hours ago when it was all kicking off again. In the end... Nine seconds lost by Vingegaard, who came in just behind the group. Some might have suggested he sat up to calm things down. Whatever happens now in the GC, it's 17 seconds between first and second. Some breathing room and a day closer to Madrid. Not quite no worries yet, Daniel, but less worries. I think as you and uh, our mate Roglic would say, sweet worries, huh? Well, we are enjoying, huh? Maybe, maybe we are not enjoying as we are here in just <laughs> mm. a minute. Mm. Um, Rob, that was a splendid Italia Tappa. You should do this for, well, um, for a living, I would suggest. Um, yeah, talk about bike races. Really tremendous stuff. Uh, Rob, um, in the gripping battle, just the gripping battle for fourth place. Um, yes. Any, yeah, I'm just looking at general classification. Bit of uh, my, micro sm- movement there. Yeah, and I think there was, what, three seconds lost by Lando as he couldn't follow that final acceleration in the end. Same as Vignogor. In the end, it was Ayuso, Mas, Kuss and Roglic coming to the line. Nine minutes, 29 behind the winner, Evenepoel. Mikel Land at 9.32, Vignogor at 9.38. And I must say, given it was a busy tale of the etapa, let's just give the podium on the day there 
their dues. It was Caruso's second at four minutes 44. They were never really in it. That's why we didn't go into it. And Andreas Krom just about meeting Max Paul for third on the day. In the GC Daniel, you've got Kuss, Vingegaard and Roglic. 17 seconds, as I said, from first to second. 108 now to Roglic from first. That is just less than a minute now from Vingegaard to Roglic. Ayuso still fourth. He's at four minutes. Landa in that Spanish duel. In fact, it's three of them, isn't it, fighting out for fourth place there because Mass is just behind. Ayuso at four minutes. It? Has anyone called it the Spanish Civil War yet? Oh, I don't think we should go there given the current political scene in Spain, Daniel. Probably wouldn't be the best idea. But yeah, we'll, uh, I'll keep that one quiet if I were you on top of that mountain with all the reporters around at the minute. But it's 19 seconds from 4th to 5th. Ayuso to Landa. Landa's at 4.19. It's half a minute still from Ayuso to Enrique Mas, who's at 4.30. And Erdebrooks is 7th at 7.37. Vlasov, his teammate at 8.35 in 8th. Almeida being Almeida again at 10.20 in 9th. And Buitrago's just about in the top 10, Daniel. 12 minutes, 20 down. Well, Rob, there we have it. Um, no explicit hostility between the Jumbo Visma riders, certainly on the road today. Um, very much a harmonious team performance. And there was a bit of conflict on the road involving Jumbo Visma, um, involving one less soigneurs, a German soigneur, and the Guardia Civil. They were sort of... Um, I wouldn't say going at it, but there were a few disagreements throughout the afternoon, and um, well, that culminated in the Jumbo Visma Swanya being knocked to the floor around about the time when the race was finishing. Um, very unsavoury scenes there, Rob. But let's hear from a few of the protagonists today, shall we? Let's hear first from Remco Evenepoel, the stage winner. We're going to hear secondly from Sepp Kuss, and well. I said there was no conflict, no over-conflict on the road between the Jumbo Visma riders today. But have a listen to the interview that comes after Sepp Kuss. And this was given to me again after the finish today. And it's from Primoz Roglic. I mean, I already mentioned it before. I did a recon of this stage, so I knew what was coming and I knew what to expect and I knew what to do. And I knew uh, that it was 35k with both of the, the climb seat of Cruze Linares inside. So uh, if you feel that the legs are super on the first time, you, ju- you should just go for it. And then uh, I think that's what I did. And in the end, yeah, 3K before the finish when it flattened out a bit. Ilio Kaiser told me in the car to slow a bit down because uh, yeah, the gap was super big. So I could uh, kind of enjoy and relax a bit. And uh, that's, uh, that's what I did. And I think it was uh, maybe it's the most beautiful of the three victories that I took uh, in this Vuelta. First goal was to to secure the mountain jersey, uh, and then when we got a gap of 10 minutes, we quickly knew that it was going to be for the stage as well. I felt that the legs were getting uh, better and better. Actually, uh, I mean better and better. I felt that I could hold on the high powers like you could in like I could in, in the beginning of the race. So I think uh, yeah, it was just one of those days. Those days where I could do whatever I wanted, and uh, that's that's how the victory came. Yeah, it's. Uh... Super cool to be in the wheel of the of the Tour champion, the uh, three-time Vuelta champion, Giro champion, uh, sitting in front of you, and uh, yeah, it's also uh, a bit of a bit of extra pressure because <laughs> I have to hold the wheel. But uh, no, it was uh, really really special. Yeah, I I, I trusted in the guys. Uh, to, to help me and, and uh, there, there was there was no doubting in my mind that, that they would do that 
for me, the only relief was just being able to, to follow through because <laughs> uh, you can say, yeah, we're going to do this and that, but I, I also have to have the legs to, to finish. It wasn't, uh, wasn't an easy stage, and uh, yeah, I had to stay super focused, uh, believe in myself, and, and make it to the, <laughs> to the finish line. Was it also a part of the team plan to, to gain a little more uh, cushion over, over Jonas? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it never hurts, um, but yeah, I, I also know, know Jonas that, that he wouldn't, um, yeah, try and uh, yeah, do, do anything. Uh, and uh, yeah, but it, it's always better to have a, a bit of cushion, um, yeah, in case I lose 17 seconds in a sprint finish. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you got a bit of criticism yesterday for the interview. How did it make you feel when you saw the way people had reacted to the interview you gave yesterday? Yeah, I don't know. When people said you should just be riding for SEP and you shouldn't um, have any other thoughts, any other ideas, what did you feel? Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone has uh, their own opinions. I mean, including myself. Uh, uh, so uh, I don't really care much. And in the meeting last night, so it was decided that Sepp was going to, well, hopefully win the Vuelta and everyone was going to ride for Sepp. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, our bosses uh, said in the evening uh, that uh, the GC should be the way it is. So uh, we try to keep it like that. How did you feel about that? Uh, I have my personal thoughts about it, but uh, I will work for it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, Rob, welcome back after the break. I think we needed a break after those comments from Primoz <laughs> Roglic. Um, I, in the meantime, well, I have now retreated to the press room or descended to the press room. Um, and the press room where, well, there's a world first today because there's a DJ at the press buffet. The press buffet, which is still going on, you can maybe hear the DJ in the background or the tunes that he's laying down. And uh, that is, as I said, um, without precedent, I think, in the world of press buffets. No Ritmo de la Vuelta today, but, well, there's a kind of ad hoc Ritmo de la Vuelta being supplied by the DJ here in a place called, uh, I think it's called Proaza, where we are, just at the foot of the final climb. Uh, Rob, what about yes. Rog? What about Rog? What oh. about those comments? Well, let me just explain that. So ordinarily, most um, people who watch now on GCN in particular, um, GCN are very good at sort of showing what happens um, and they, they stay on air for quite a long time after the finish and you'll have seen mm. the sort of bundles around riders and we all sort of um, stick our microphones in and everyone gets pretty much the same quotes usually from, from the main stars at least um, after stages. 
Pretty much rugby. There was a strange moment after the finish today when I was actually waiting for Max Poole, who was in the break today, and he was sort of gathering himself. He was tired and, um, as you would be after riding a 4,100 metres of altitude gain stage, he was gathering himself and so I was sort of patiently waiting for him to do an interview and uh, I was told to come back in a couple of minutes. And then Primoz Roglic sort of appeared in front of me with my Slovenian colleagues, my colleagues from Slovenian TV. He always sort of seeks them out or vice versa and he does an interview with them before he speaks to anyone else but I was the only journalist there wanting to speak to him in English and we were sort of quite a long way from the finish line at this point hence why I sort of had him trapped um, and I asked him those three or four questions that you heard there and I think the answers were, were slightly blunter than the answers he subsequently gave to other crews that you might have heard on the television coverage and well the message loud and clear Rob is it Primoz Roglic? Doesn't necessarily... I, I, I mean, you tell me, Rob, what you took from those comments. My reading is that he's not necessarily in agreement with the decision that was taken last night in the meeting, this fabled meeting. Well, in this pre-Moss and free-Boss world exclusive that you managed <laughs> to secure, <laughs> um, I'm in complete agreement. I, I wish I could say that I was flabbergasted, flummoxed, I don't think I am, though, because I think one thing that, you know, you, you can maybe level quite a few things with pretty much around the Janjunas Vingegaard after yesterday. However, I'm always grateful, and I think I'll be eternally respectful to Primoz Roglic for, for his honesty and the, a lot of answers that he gives. I know that he has this weird style of not saying much and, you know, giving it the whole... But you generally sort of get the gist of what he's saying. Um, so I have to give him the, the kudos. It's like a luxury... He's like a luxury Peter Sagan in some ways, isn't he? He's like the, a Waitrose Sagan yeah. in interviews. Again, they don't. They ne both of them never really said much, but when they did say things, I think they meant it, and, that, and that's the difference with a lot of different riders that, that you get and we get on interview. Um, so first of all, cure for being honest. Secondly, I completely agree that he obviously doesn't agree with it. Um, it you know, I think it's difficult to read anything else into it, isn't it? Um, was it the right thing to say again? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm building him up for being honest. Maybe not the most intelligent thing to say. Uh, is there something else going on? Will the, the rog to leave Jumbo Visma rumor mill start up again? And there's so much that we could read into this and so much probably that us and colleagues will do over the next few months, given the fact that we might not have too much racing to talk about after the next uh, three or four weeks are done. Um, it's, it's obvious that, that it, it's not all right. I mean, he did everything he needed to do on the road. Let's give him and Jonas Vingegaard the credit there. You know, there, there was no sort of moving from the message on the road this time, was there? But uh, certainly away from it, you know, sowing the seeds of disquiet and, and showing us that it's not all as harmonious as the Jumbo Visma spin machine would like, led, like us to believe. Yeah, I mean, objectively, today was made into the, the general classification battle became quite boring mm. because they did they did lock down the race. Jumbo Visma locked down the race and sort of demonstrated exactly what they could probably should have done a few days ago and thinking about this last night and thinking about Primoz Roglic and the way he's ridden in his career we, we sort of take it for granted now that the sort of new breed of rider is going to be an aggressive um, rider who, who will always ride to win we've slowly seen the kind of an erosion of some of the canons of 
um, what etiquette that used to prevail in the pro peloton, things like, well, you know, I've got the leader's jersey, mm -hmm. so you take the stage, uh, or I've won three stages in this stage race, so I will let someone else win today. I won't sprint for the victory. And Roglic has been very much um, sort of emblematic of a new style of riding in which, okay, he's not necessarily the most aggressive in that he, he's not someone who will attack from, you know, kilometer zero, but he's very aggressive in taking everything, every prize yeah. that's available. And, and he's done it all season, hasn't he? He's won every single stage race he started in Daniel. Yeah, yes. And, and seen in that light, his words yesterday, what we think were probably his feelings after that meeting interpreted again through the interview we've just heard is sort of coherent with who he has been um, throughout his career which and, and 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 that sort of style of racing and that attitude and as I say as a sort of modus operandi where the strongest rider the best rider the fastest rider does win has made for some fantastic racing um, over the last few years and better racing let's face it than what we saw today in the grand tour group i mean we used to be sick to the back teeth of these stages where the, the sort of overall the general classification was in the bag for someone after a week or 10 days and then they would effectively shut it down neutralize it particularly if they were as strong as this jumbo visma team is in this race because they should they could have shut this race down pretty much and um, the day when remco Evenepoel lost 27 minutes and uh, well they dominated that stage on the tourmalade as well they, they have not done that and in some respects we should be grateful that they haven't because it's been an exciting welter deep into the final week which it probably wouldn't have been um having been billed as well we build it el clasico and it has been a bit of a, a classic um as i say largely because of this sort of drama that's played out but rob um as as our good friend another god uh, kierkegaard the that's probably a terrible pronunciation um, the danish writer soren kierkegaard famous writer said and life can only be understood backwards it must be lived forwards um let's continue to try to understand what happened today and what is happening on this web that Espanol by going back in time um again thinking about the context of well this morning last night the meeting that took place in the Jumbo Visma camp I thought it'd be interesting to hear from someone we don't ordinarily or the sort of mainstream channels um, haven't been speaking to as much and hearing from as much and um, the Hungarian rider Attila Valta he's riding his first Grand Tour for Jumbo Visma we have heard from him uh, on a number of occasions on the cycling podcast he's very eloquent he's, he's pretty honest at times so I thought it'd be interesting to hear what he had to say about the, the prevailing wind in the Jumbo Visma camp this morning so here he was in Pola de Allende. Um, well, actually, Richard Plugger told us there was a bit of a meeting last night. I don't expect you to tell us everything that happened, but um, how aware of you of all the conversation on the in, in the public and particularly social media about the way the team rode yesterday, criticism of Jonas, of Primoz, how much are you following it? Yeah, every rider I think follows it uh, differently. Me and myself, I still do it a bit too much than I should because uh, yeah, normally it's not a, not a good idea to to do it. Uh, yeah, these guys are my friends, and I'm I'm I really like to work for them. So when they criticize them, it's just also uh, that I feel that I, I'm also criticized in a way. And uh, yeah, it's just I think was a. Um, 
people can have their own opinion and uh, it's okay to, to tell it it's it's not a problem and uh, it's it's uh, they right to feel what they feel but it's not I think was a bit over pushed this situation at all because Seb just lost uh, 18 seconds he, he keep the jersey and uh, we just we just won the race so that's our main goal we are we are here to race against others and uh, on a 20% climb, it's, I think it's really hard to make some philosophic questions to, to think about as, as Primoz Roglic, like, ah, should I do it, should I not? If you have the legs, this is a race, so I also understand that he's a champion and champions fight until the line and that, that's how it goes. So, yeah, it was a bit too much for me, the, the, the social media, but that's how it is. It is confusing and you're on a steep climb where the directors can't necessarily see the TV. Um, but I guess people think, why isn't there a clear instruction just to wait for set because the other guys are you saw mass they're a long way out of the back now and and they could have done that yesterday they could have waited for him and then the three of them could have just sprinted and primos could still have won the stage yeah it's a difficult question and uh, we had a clear decision and the clear decision is that all these big champions uh jonas primos and and now sep also they are here to to win this race so it's really difficult to to, to tell to a rider like Primoz Roglic when he's able to win the race that uh, no, you cannot do that. So it's, um, you know, it's not so easy uh, having this luxury problem, I think. It's really, it's really it is a luxury problem that uh, you want to have all your riders happy. And then uh, I think they had a talk uh, in the second race day and uh, everyone said, yeah, the strongest should win this race and everyone is going for it and that's that's what they did so i really can tell you that there is no hard feelings in the bus we are really so different than than what the people imagine how is in the bus so it's just uh it's nice in a way and really i should put away my phone and and just be with the guys because we are all happy that uh, we could win another stage we can really can control the race we can really uh be always in the right moment always in the right time not just them but us helpers we also i think doing a great work so just enjoy these moments and not not focusing on what people saying about us when when we are like one to three at the stage and still people fight us last thing actually you mentioned that decision on the rest day has that changed this morning that the strongest man is going to win the race the strongest man is going to win the race yeah i think Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2023 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. So, Rob, in, in well, one might say in similar fashion to Primoz Roglic's interview this afternoon, that interview with Attila Valta ended on a tantalising note in that he told me the strongest rider was going to win, was still going to win. Um, and sort of suggesting that whatever decision was made on the second rest day, now you can already question whether the second rest day was maybe a bit too late to have these conversations. Maybe the start of this Vuelta España was the time to decide what was going to happen if, you know, it, it might not have been three riders, it might have been two, it might have been Vingegaard and Roglic if they were close together. Um, However, he sort of suggested that they, they had stuck to their guns. Jumbo Visma had stuck to their guns. That's if you really take what he said at face value. However, sort of reflecting on it now, I think maybe when Walter said the strongest man will win, what he wanted to say, what he was really saying was that Sepp deserves this. 
and he has been pretty much the strongest rider or close enough to be considered I thought he was the strongest rider on this stage today actually um, and I'll go back I've re-watched in our little break I've, I've had a look back at the images that I talked about in the tail of the Etapa with about a kilometre to go and that Vingegaard gets on the radio when there's a small gap as Kuss is pushing on and Kuss does lift up his foot for that little moment I know then that Vingegaard goes on to lose what was it nine seconds after that but it did to me today look like you know if, if we're going down that road and sticking to that argument that today certainly Kuss was the strongest of the three and Rob we didn't discuss what Jonas Vingegaard did in the closing <laughs> metres um losing time was that a diplomatic loss of time because well we're going to talk we're going to talk later on in the episode about what may occur on tomorrow's stage and just thinking more about these stages that we have to come um you know once it became clear and we sort of read between the lines this morning that this decision had been taken by Jumbo Visma that they did want Sepkus to win um it was almost the, the, the balloon of sort of wild conjecture and speculation. It was deflated a little bit and everything maybe in some people's minds did start to feel like a foregone conclusion. However, it's really not a foregone conclusion because it, all it needs is for someone to lose a wheel. Go back and look at the, the results of the, the last so-called processional stages of all Grand Tours and look look at how time gaps have have innocuously opened up in those particular stages purely because of that purely you know if you had someone who had taken a dislike to Sepkus and wanted Jonas Vingegaard to win all they would have to do is position themselves in front of Sepkus in the peloton on the way into the finish line in Madrid and and let a wheel go so it's it's not a foregone conclusion it's still not a foregone conclusion so Jonas Vingegaard losing a little bit more time um, this afternoon was that a further diplomatic gesture and move was it wasn't it um, I don't know Rob I don't know you tell I'm me I'm 50-50 I'm 50-50 on that Daniel because I, again I'm convinced today that Vingegaard did make that message on the radio on the way in however the way that it looked it might have looked like that in the last 500 metres once the next attack went and, and again I would say that it's the intelligent thing to do if he was going to do that, and if he did want, if he if he's true to his word, I've said right at the start tonight that actions speak louder than words. Uh, you know, the words were all coming out last evening saying, "No, but we want Seth to win." And you had that sort of strange quote from Roglic, didn't you? But yeah, come on, mate, come on, we're all rooting for you. But you know, he's he's five hundred meters up the road, looking back and saying that. <laughs> come on, um, I think it was a clever thing to do from Vingegaard if it was intentional. Was it intentional? I'm not sure. I can. I can I can make a judgment on that, Daniel. But you're quite right about the well. There's time bonuses. There's little splits. I mean, what if there's a split in the wind as well tomorrow? There's all sorts of things that can happen. What if there's you know an attack that needs to be covered on Saturday, even though I know it's not on paper the hardest stage in the world. But and then like you say, you know, and that finish in Madrid in particular, when you come around the corner from Atocha and you're coming up to the up to the finish there, <laughs> it's a big big 180 degree corner, isn't it? That and it's quite easy for a wheel to, to open up there on the way in. We've seen it in, in many of Madrid sprints at the end of the world. Yeah, certainly eight seconds was, was too close to comfort, I think. Mm. And it, it, if, if it was deliberate this afternoon by Jonas Vingegaard, I think it was probably wise. Um, Rob, let's just shovel a few more coals on the already super caliente hot take machine, shall we? Um, again, going back to this morning, I just think we... 
I thought it'd be interesting and well spoke to numerous riders this morning um, it, it, I thought it would be interesting to hear what they had to say the sort of outsiders but within the peloton perspective of what was going on uh, Jumbo Visma I think there's a certain amount of schadenfreude there's a certain amount of glee um, at seeing a dominant team suffer this sort of embarrassment of riches these champagne problems and um, well let's hear now from Geraint Thomas shall we who's who's uniquely placed and pretty well placed to comment on some of the difficulties that Jumbo Visma are having because of course Sky Ineos Grenadiers sometimes found themselves in uh, found themselves in a position where they had to make tough decisions like the ones Jumbo Visma are confronted with at the moment and um, first we're going to hear Garrett Thomas reflect on his well very ill-starred Vuelta which continues to be pretty ill-starred and then well we discussed Jumbo Visma and what occurred yesterday on the Angliru tough mate to be honest like since dropping out of GC was tough enough and then obviously the crashes and struggling with my back a bit with my rib but um, yeah it's just the way it is but I'm sort of determined to finish now at least uh, not going to let the Volta break me does it become just a point of pride or are you still sort of well do you need this race do you need to take something from this race maybe I don't know for the end of the season or even for next year is it important for that reason um I think I'll take a lot from it anyway with having such a rubbish race you know it's sim- similar to 21 in the tour and then the Olympics and it was a real depressing sort of uh, ends of the year that was this year obviously I can still take success from it with the Giro and everything that I had the start of the year coming back from that but um, it's certainly I, I don't know maybe it's the wrong thing but my mindset's already on next year really and, and wanting to you're already thinking about how to improve and what do better and what I want to do um, come to no conclusions at all but that's the mindset I'm on and uh, I've still got four hard days racing and um, try and help the team as best I can you know days like today is kind of limited a bit but you know with Pipo you know we've seen he's strong and he is quick um, it's just something to go for so uh, yeah that's our mindset now a few guys are getting a little bit, not upset, but, you know, they're sort of saying, well, Jumbo, you know, they want to take everything. And then obviously we've had the drama playing out last night. Um, well, first of all, what did you make of that yesterday? Uh, for a start, I've got no issue with them trying to win every stage. I like, ask bike racing, you know, it's a race and, you know, go for it. If, if, you, if you've got the legs and you want to do that. But um, when it comes to the race yesterday, it was, yeah, I was a bit bemused, to be honest. More on the fact Roglic has taken a lot of heat, but I think it's kind of, kind of agree with it to be honest. Like it's changing his position, in no way. He's not going to win this Walter unless he puts a minute into, into Jonas today, which I can't see, but you never know. Um, his third place is solid anyway. There was no need to continue. Um, but the day before, same thing really. Jonas went early. Other teams were around, so. They didn't pull behind. They didn't chase. For me, if you're getting, if you're going to say we race and the best guy wins, then do it. But when guys are kind of hampered and tactically, I think it doesn't. You can't do it then, if that makes sense. You know, like Primos and, and Chris aren't going to chase Jonas yeah. with Ayuso and you know Siano and whoever in the wheel. So you're not really racing it, are you? kind of hampered by the tactics as well I totally sympathise with the position they're in because it's tough because everyone wants to win that's obvious 
but I think the management need to be stronger in those situations really and for me Cuss deserves it I think we were chatting on the bus and I think if a leader is stronger and the, and the his domestique has the jersey I think for sure he should be allowed to go because you can't gift a grand tour that's too much of a gift you know there's a stage or whatever but you don't just give someone a grand tour because he's worked for you for a long time if you're better but the point is I don't think there is that much of a gap between them like you look at yesterday he only dropped Cus only dropped with a K before the top of the climb like it's not that um, blatant in my eyes and so it's tough innit I really hope Sepp wins it but um, yeah we'll see what, what pans out today but it, it's kind of symptomatic a bit of the way cycling's changed over the last 10 years hasn't it we've slowly seen these old kind of canons about etiquette you know oh I've got the jersey so you win the stage that kind of thing slowly sort of being phased out and even like within teams you know this whole ethos that they've had over the last few days of everyone go for it it's kind of that is symptomatic of the way things have gone isn't it yeah totally and then uh, there's a lot of talk about like the respect in the peloton anyway you know and um, it's a bit weird isn't it just getting photographed mid <laughs> chat but um, yeah just like that that is a big change in, in, in the peloton overall the fact yeah. that everyone is um, there is definitely a lot less respect I feel in the peloton just with with everything from coming into a corner and dive bombing each other or you know um, yeah just the etiquette of, of the race and then obviously yeah as you say with there's no real ranking every man for himself type attitude um, that's just the way it's gone you know and then it's the way it is now I think but people can still I feel like I still give people a bit of space and don't dive on them into a corner and have respect for, for guys around me but most of you get the feeling most don't really well, Rob, we've heard that before, haven't we? That respect, levels of respect um, in the peloton are not what they used to be. We've heard that from previous generations. Um, go back two generations, you, you hear it, you, you heard it about the last generation. So that's nothing new. But um, not like Geraint, it was an hour, lad, is it? Eh? No, exactly. But Geraint <laughs> did. He did well. We did touch there on something we've already mentioned in this episode that some of these old canons um, are dissolving and they are falling by the wayside. And there's maybe also a question about generational change in society as well and how this current generation now Primoz Roglic is in his mid 30s so he's you know he's a millennial he's not a he's not a, a Gen Z a Zuma um, but this generation if you take the peloton as a whole um, how differently they just approach things in their lives and how they think about opportunity we had Rolf Aldog on the podcast a few months ago talk about how this generation is much more motivated by opportunities than by money you know there the may be a bit of a bit of that um in this dilemma perhaps um, but i mean it's it's not as if vinegar and roglic are lacking opportunity is it i mean roglic has won three vueltas he's won the giro for the first time this year vinegar won the last two tour de france um plenty to come in the future and i know that yes there's a counter argument to that and say careers are short and you know could fall off tomorrow and 
and you know that might be it an injury and you you know you might end up not being at the same level look at Egan Bernal today yet again you know he was going to dominate wasn't he for the next 10 years and then he has this awful accident more competition comes along and he himself is just struggling to stay out there in a breakaway and obviously I know that a lot of people are hoping and we're all hoping I think as fans that he gets back to the same level but it's a hard road back and there might be people looking at that and saying hang on I've got to strike while the iron's hot here this is an opportunity to win the Vuelta it's natural that Vingegaard and Roglic as the sort of GC machines that they are are going to want to do that but then there has to surely be the chat about this being a completely unique opportunity if you want to go down that road and talk about opportunity for Sepp Kuss and you know we, we could sit here all night talking about how he probably deserves it there's also the argument that he's still up there and he's still strong and you know the only time he wasn't able to react was when he was attacked by his own teammates who shouldn't be doing that to him anyway um, you know I, fi- I find it very very strange um, that, that, that you know they're not unable to see this as a, a unique opportunity for Sepkus. And, and one more point, Daniel, which I think is much more important to both Vinyagor and Roglic's opportunities themselves to stay on the, this theme of opportunity. If Sepkus is pissed off right now, sorry for the, the strong language, and, you know, if something like that happened to a lot of people, as nice as you are as a person, and it's nice to be nice, I think, you know, I think no, most normal people enjoy being nice, don't they, and helping others and doing that, and that, that's very much in Sepkus's nature. But if you have your own mates who you've worked so hard for actively conspiring against you, as they were yesterday on the road, uh, when they didn't need to do, again, racing situation is different. If someone attacks, they follow, that's fine, that's racing. But what they did yesterday was just bizarre. And if, if that happens, then in the next two, three seasons, then Sepkus is expected to still be at his very best. Are you going to sweat every last drop of blood, sweat and tears for yeah. for for your mate's opportunities? I mean, I, you know, Vingegaard and Roglic could be putting in danger the chances to win the next two or three Grand Tours by, by doing this this week. Yeah. I differ from you slightly, Rob, and I have a slightly less conspiratorial view of... Well, I, I view what was what Roglic and Vingegaard did yesterday slightly less conspiratorial. And it, it, to be honest, I blame the the management... Oh, but I mean, that, uh, that's, that, I think that, that, that's a given, isn't more, it? I more, mean, the management should be putting their foot down. To, to, yeah, to a greater extent. And, you know, and, and, and if they're guilty of anything, I think it's, it's of coming into this race with a slightly utopic view. And I talked about... Um, maybe this generation or another generation be more motivated by opportunities than money. I think their naivety was that you could give all three riders all of the opportunities that they wanted and that everyone would leave happy. And as I said to Lionel yesterday, or as Lionel and I said, sort of, you know, with Primoz clutching his Star Wars figure and Jonas <laughs> with his Sabutio, and I don't know what um, Sepp might That was the thing, on his birthday sl- as well. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, it's Mr. Frosty. <laughs> slush puppy maker um, I think that was not. I think that was naive and, and I think you know as I said on Twitter if it's still called that this morning um, <laughs> they're, they're smart they're, they're smart people and they wouldn't be where they are if they weren't smart and I think they will have realised that they have made certain mistakes and they will probably correct course however Rob just one last question on this before we move on on Sunday in all likelihood um Sepp Kuss, he will go up on the podium. He'll take his red jersey. Primoz Roglic will be standing on one side. Jonas Vingard will be on the other side of him. There will be confetti. There will be Carver. Sepp Kuss will probably be 
drunker than he was a few days ago when he <laughs> overindulged on the Carver post stage. Will any of this matter then? And will it matter in the sort of rear view mirror as we go into mm. the winter and as we start to hand out prizes and gongs and accolades? Will all of this be forgotten? Because it feels as though this has been a long running saga and an explosive saga. But the, the news agenda and our own sort of personal news agendas move on very, very quickly. Um, is it, will this just be a blip? It's funny, I was on a bike ride. Has it tarnished the whole thing? I was on a bike ride around these wonderful Asturian hills this morning, and it's exactly the thing that I was thinking of. I My view was, as a fan, obviously, when I'm commentating on air, I, I'm not going to be expressing my own opinion, so a very, very rare opinion coming out here. Uh, in the, um, As a fan, what happened yesterday sort of spoils it for me because it changes the way that, you know, in all this sort of stressing of, you know, we don't want to gift anything. There's no gifts. After yesterday, it does look rather strange, doesn't it? Um, with the margin of victory, the way it happened, attacking your mates and all the sort of confused messages that came out. It, for me, it's not going to be something that's forgotten quickly. I know that the news agenda moves and it's not going to be at the front forefront of our mind. I can't imagine myself introducing one of the early races next season and it being the first or only topic of conversation. But I think it's something that Fans probably won't forget when they look and I know, you know, not many people support teams, do they? And we probably, I think a lot of us like cycling because there isn't that sort of mega fandom we find in other sports and almost sort of tribal mentality. I think we quite enjoy it because there's not that. But, you know, people who, who are going down that road are maybe going to look differently on Jumbo Visma after that, especially, as you said, the management, because in the heat of battle, I know we can be disappointed in what the riders did on one day, but yes, there's always that excuse, isn't there, that, you know, in the heat of the moment, things happen. Um, but the management, I think, have to really, really take a lot of responsibility. And and I'm not sure, if I'm completely honest, Daniel, that it, I will have the same feeling that I would have had looking at the podium had yesterday not happened like that. Um Again, I'll stress that one thing is is reacting to a racing situation. And let's say that another dangerous rider would be up there in that group. Of course, they have to ride. That's racing. And if Kuz can't keep up, then of course he can't keep up. Another thing is looking behind, as Jonas Vingegaard did, seeing Sepp Kuz there and continuing to ride with Primoz Roglic, who'd obviously put his pace on. That's That, for me, leaves a really bitter taste in the mouth. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Well, Rob, the sun is setting over the Asturian Mountains. The beat is still thumping um, from the press buffet DJ. 
Um, I wonder if this will become a permanent fixture at press buffets at Grand Tours. I kind of hope it does. Um, Rob. As long as the food's still good, yeah. Yes, yes. Rob, Nesepkos uh, is still in the red jersey. What does that mean? You know what that means, don't you? What does it mean? That, that my fanciful, whimsical, ridiculous... Um, oh, yes, mini I've been series, enjoying the series. Mini-series um, about major tours and uh, grand tours. Free Boss's theorem that... In, Who's next on the army? Well, that in future, in future, all riders aspiring to will major tours will have... Well, will only ride major tours because that is the only preparation um, that will get them ready to win another one. Um, that is my theorem. It's already been shot down by a couple of team coaches in the last two days. I vowed that as long as Sepkus is in the red jersey, we're going to have someone else holding forth on it every day. Today, Rob, it is the turn of our good friend, our old friend, um, the Motown maestro, Lucky Larry yes. Warbass of AG2R Citroën. And this conveniently also meshes with another regular feature that we have here on El Clásico. Arriba, Larry Warbas. Andale, andale. I've got a crackpot theory that Sepp's ridden three Grand Tours this year. Now, specificity in mm, training is a principle that some coaches believe strongly in. Yeah. And in cycling, it's kind of a paradox that you guys do one week stage races, Grand Tours, one week, I'm sorry, one day races. I put it to you, Larry Warbas, that in the future, Everyone who's a Grand Tour specialist is going to just do Grand Tours. Um, I've spoken to various coaches about this. They've shot me down. Yeah. I want a rider's take, please. I mean, I'd probably be on the coach's side. You know, I think the other thing uh, we have to look at is also like mental fatigue too, you know? That's what they've said. I mean, the other thing is um, I would say most teams don't have the liberty to just put guys in all three Grand Tours. You know, I think... You know, and a lot of teams, you know, they want to give young guys a chance, you know, for the Vuelta, things like that. They, you know, they want to give other guys, you know, chances to do the Grand Tours. So I think based on planning like that, and I think, you know, if you really, really train specifically for a Grand Tour, um, you know, the other thing that probably helps Seth is like he lives at, I don't know, 1,600 meters or something like that. So he's always training at altitude. He's always uh, living at moderate, low to moderate altitude. Um, and, you know... Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, uh, but but yeah, I mean, maybe they'll be more open to it, that's for sure. Because, I mean, you guys generally, I said the other day on the podcast, you guys train in sort of three-day micro-blocks often, don't you? And it's sort of three days on, one day kind of off-ish. I would say that's relatively common in the peloton. Yeah. Are you not training, for, you're not training yourselves for three-day efforts, effectively? And are you not getting it all wrong? I mean, I've also asked myself this question, like, you know, usually after a Grand Tour, I'm flying. You know, I have probably some of my best form ever. And I'm like, why don't we try to mimic Grand Tours in training? You know, I, I often ask the question. Um, but, you know, I think it's probably because it's really hard to control that fatigue. And, uh, you know, with three-day three block, you know, three blocks, you know, now I think a lot of teams, you know, are moving to two-day blocks as well. Um, I guess you could probably train harder in those two or three days than otherwise. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I think it's just probably a question of, like, balancing fatigue and things like that. I feel as though I'm convincing you. Larry, last thing. I put it to you that Sepp Chris is in this position. People are saying it's in spite of having done two Grand Tours. 
How about, well, what if we consider that it's because of having done three grand tours? I mean, you know what, like you just said there, what a grand tour gives you. There are things that these grand tours will have given Sepp Kuss that people in the peloton who have not done two grand tours this year won't have, physiologically, that they will have given him capacities that other people have not trained to the same extent this year. I mean, yeah, I would say maybe it hasn't hurt him, but maybe it hasn't helped him either. You know, I would say maybe he's about even uh, because of it. But, um, you know, I think the thing is on a team like Jumbo, they know exactly how you need to train and how you get ready for for a Grand Tour. And uh, I think if he focused all his energy on the Vuelta, maybe he would be better than he is, even even better than he is because he's already quite good. But maybe also the fact that uh, he probably came here like whatever. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like It's not like he had a huge amount of pressure to perform because they were probably like, well, you know, it's your third Grand Tour. Like, I'm sure you'll be good. Just do your job, you know? And then he had really no stress or no pressure, whereas like if he only did one Grand Tour in the year, he would have a lot more pressure. So I, I would say like this mental aspect probably plays a lot bigger part in it. Rob, as the days go by, I feel as though I'm brainwashing. I'm I'm starting to brainwash the whole peloton, the whole professional cycling movement. I think uh, by the time we get to Madrid, everyone will be convinced and I'll be driven into the center of Madrid on a, in a chariot, on a chariot and uh, wearing a laurel wreath and I'll be hailed by everyone as a revolutionary. I can imagine you there at Sibelius. There'll be free boss scarves wrapped around the statue <laughs> when they're celebrating your next Grand Tour title. Um, on that, I wonder if, I mean, mathematicians, you, I, we should get uh, mathematicians out there looking to see if they can find a, an algebra equation for your free boss's theorem. I, I, re, I really, I really want to know how, how it all comes I, to the... The Grand Tours together. I want to see that written down in proper style. I have to tell you as well, the conversation with Larry continued after the recording was stopped. And by the end of it, by the end of it, he was all, he was out of sorts, Rob. He, he rode off, he was sort of scratching his head. He didn't know what to think anymore. He was questioning his very existence um, by the end of, of our conversation this morning. Uh, Rob, let's find out what we've got tomorrow, shall we? La etapa de mañana, la cena de ayer. Tomorrow's stage... Yesterday's food. Rob, off you go. It's not done yet, is it? And I know that people will be thinking, what's he on about? It's a flat transitional stage. But we know, Daniel, that on the Vuelta, when we go through Castilla on either side of Madrid, whether it be La Mancha in the south or León in the north, the wind often blows. And I've just checked the wind forecast for tomorrow. And in the final hour and a half or so of racing, on our way to Iscar, it's 177 kilometers tomorrow. No King of the Mountains climbs in there. A little bit of up and down on the Spanish Meseta, on the, the little tabletop right in the center of Spain. Little tabletop. Watch out for the wind. It's the well, biggest it's, tabletop yeah, in the tabletop world. In the world, yeah. <laughs> well, we like, we like a big meal here, I guess. So, yeah, um, on the big tabletop, the biggest tabletop in the world. That's better, isn't it? Um, always at roughly altitude, what is it, 500, 700 metres, something like that, isn't it, along the way. Um, the forecast isn't that to, for too much wind at the start, Daniel, so don't, when you switch on the Italian in the morning or you turn up for the start, don't be too disappointed. But by about four o'clock in the afternoon, all the way through to just before six when we expect the finish, the wind is going to be blowing from the right-hand side, right across, 90 degrees across the road, around 20 to 25 kilometers Ooh. per hour is the current forecast. So even if you've got top three on GC, if you miss a split 
and Mikel Landers in it. I know it might be fanciful, but this is Landy's most home, let's not forget, um, on this podcast. Uh, if Juan Ayuso's in it, if someone else's in it and they take a gap, you just never, never know. So not expecting things as we never do on these stages, but as I think we know, Daniel, that in Castelleon, people always expect wins. And once the chatter goes around, once everybody's on the Velo Viewer and they're seeing the forecast, it can be sometimes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, can't it? Everyone's told to move. You just have to think There's wins. There's a lot of riding that's done. And then if you think wins... If you think about wins... Win happen. If you think about win, then it just self... It just manifests, doesn't it, Rob? That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, um, well, Sudar Quickstep will be delighted if it's windy tomorrow, won't they? They'll be delighted this evening. Fantastic performance by Remco Evenepoel. Rob, I'm going to indulge the listeners with yeah. a tip for tomorrow. Um, I'm going to tip uh, the, cool. the young British rider who's riding for Group uh, Amar FD, uh, FDG at this Vuelta España, Luis Aski, who is in the break today. And, uh, well, there's an ulterior... Good classics rider. Very good yeah. classics rider, good sprinter. There's an, there is, though, an ulterior motive for tipping him tomorrow. Um, it gives us an excuse to hear from him today, because, as I said, he was in the break. Another young British rider, very, very promising British rider, was in the break today, Max Paul of DSM Fermanek. And he, Rob, well, he was the sort of best of the rest when Remco set off on his solitary raid... Uh, and the foot of the Cruz de Linares climb the first time around. Um, he didn't finish second, did he, Max Paul? He was fourth in the end, am I right? He was fourth, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to play out tonight and by hearing from both of those two guys, I think we're going to hear Max Paul first and Lewis Askey second. Rob, it's been a delight and you're, you might be joining us again before the end of the Vuelta. Let's hope so. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, it was nice to try and try and hang with him for a bit, but yeah, he, he just went super fast and uh, yeah, I think the best the best rider won today. So yeah, I mean I had a, I had a tricky first couple of weeks to be honest, um, and yeah, I felt felt good this week so far. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a positive, and um, you know I think we also kind of expected it coming in, you know. Uh, you know normally I, I get better as the race goes on, so. Uh, yeah, you know, it's nice to be able to race a bit, especially in the final week after, you know, tough two first, uh, tough first two weeks. So. Just quick one, Max. Um, just that moment where Remco sort of went away at the bottom of this climb the first time around. Was it important then not to, well, not to try too hard to follow him and to keep something in the tank? Yeah, maybe, maybe in hindsight, yeah, but uh, not in the moment. You know, I felt, felt OK up the first time and you know, I, don't, I don't see, you know, why I should have held back. Uh, you know, I think uh, if it was the toughest part of the climb, it got to be easy. So, you know, I just tried to get over that bit. And, uh, yeah, of course, in the end, I couldn't stick with him. And uh, maybe it, it bite, bite me, uh, bites me in the bum a bit at the end. But uh, well, I just tried to go with him. Talked a couple of days ago about, well, the difficulty of some days mm, having to look for a focus, really. You had one today. You're in the break. Uh, how was it? Yeah, I mean, the plan was to obviously have Lenny or Michael in the in the uh, breakaway so we didn't really me and Lorenzo didn't really want to be there like we well we did want to be there but we wanted to have one of them two with us so but it kind of I was really expecting a long fight for the breakaway today because yeah we predicted that they were going to let Yomo were going to let it for the breakaway for the win Um, but in the end I just I mean we were well placed at the bottom of the first little descent and then kind of just rolled off the front and like me and Lorenzo didn't pull a turn for the first 10 15k because we were hoping it was going to come back but in the end it was like 
what what could we do? <laughs> like once once it, they'd kind of once you've got a gap on that sort of road, then um, yeah, it was finished. So yeah, it was a nice day out in front, but. Uh, yeah, obviously, if we had uh, Michael or Lenny in the front, it could have been a really good day for them, so a little bit of a shame. And I didn't catch up with you yesterday, Lewis, at the top of the Angliro, and we talked a bit about it in the preceding days. Uh, how was it in the end? Um, I mean, a bit of a shame, actually, because it was obviously so foggy up top, but maybe maybe that was actually uh, nice, because them last couple of kilometres, I think if it was... Uh, I think I'm assuming you can see normally when it's uh, not foggy straight in front of you or just a wall. So uh, maybe maybe it was uh, actually a blessing that it was so uh, foggy. But yeah, it was a brutal climb. And in the end, the time limit was easy on that day. So uh, I don't know what I was so worried about. Ride it blindfolded next time. <laughs> yeah. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.